Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. All right, got a lot of stuff to get through today. There was a Nintendo Direct this week, a lot of announcements there. Um, so we're going to be kind of, we're not going to talk about everything, but we're going to plow through the things that I felt were pertinent. Um, we want to talk about the Final Fantasy XV Arden Prologue anime a little bit, and then move into our main topic, which is about uh, fantasy uh, as a genre of fiction. What is the point of it? Is there any point to it? Is it just pure escapism? Mm. Um, and then, of course, we have a couple community stories we'll get into as well. So, uh, you watched the Nintendo Direct this week, Kason? I did. I watched it, although I missed a really important thing, apparently. <laughs> yes, you did. Probably the most important thing for you, you missed. I had to watch it in two separate, um, two separate goes. I watched it live for a little bit, and then I had to stop because I had work to do. And then I tried to pick up back where I left off and watch the rest of it, um, but apparently, apparently, I didn't go right where I left off. Okay, so um, we're gonna blast through it. There's only really a couple things. You know, a lot of people were upset by this one. I saw. I think it had like twenty or twenty-five percent dislike ratio. Uh, this on direct? Nintendo's yeah on Nintendo's channel. Um, Why? I think a lot of people are becoming a bit entitled with directs, expecting to see certain things that they really want to see. But despite the fact that there was some really weird stuff in this one that I was kind of like, what? Um, There still were a couple of really great announcements (laughs) that to me made it a super great direct. And this isn't for the whole year. This is just up until like E3. And then after E3, we're going to have even more announcements. It's like, this isn't like... Like if people are upset that there wasn't any Pokemon or anything, it's like that's coming. That's coming later this year. Yeah. So, um, Super Mario Maker Two. Uh, I enjoyed Mario Maker for what it was for a little bit. But oh, Mario Maker was, was great. Yeah. It was huge on YouTube. Lots of people doing uh, making levels and trying out other people's levels. So that'll be huge yeah. on the Switch, I think. Yeah, the I think the thing will. that was a really weird announcement to me was Smash Ultimate 3.0 update. Yeah, they like, just did the 2.0, didn't they? Well, not only that, but they didn't even say what it was. Like, what's the I point know. of putting it in direct? It's like, 3.0 is coming. You find out what it's going to be a little they bit later. They seem to, like, tie it into the uh, Persona 5 Joker guy, where it's like, yeah. you know, 2.0, we got the Piranha Plant. 3.0, we're going to get Joker. But it's like, that's its own right. DLC. So what? what's what's the update? That's weird. Yeah, anyways. I don't know what the point of putting that in direct is if you're not going to say yeah. much of anything about it. Okay, here's a big one, though. Uh, Link's Awakening remake. Yeah, um, I'm that's actually huge. Gonna, actually, <laughs> I'm gonna put this on the screen. Uh, why don't you tell me what you thought of this first? Oh, first off, I thought it was freaking awesome. Um, I'm a huge fan of when Nintendo goes kind of like basically creates an entirely new art style, <laughs> mm. yeah, out of you know any of their IPs and makes it just like super unique. And that's something that they've done uh, here with Link's Awakening. Um, when you're remaking a really, really old game, this is like the third ever Zelda game or something like that. I can't remember. Um, I can't remember. Was this before Link's to the Past or was this after Link's Before to the past? Link to the Past. This is before. So it's like the third ever Zelda game. It's on the Game Boy, really, really low resolution, right? Really, really poor um, image quality. And so how do you remake that, right? And they could just do it in the vein of like Minish Cap or something like that. But I'm glad that they actually are kind of, they're kind of altering the look of the game to fit more with kind of the feel of the game, I guess. And I, I think it's really cool. They got this tilt shift thing going on. It looks like you're controlling these little, little plastic toys. And I think it's really super cool. Uh, a lot of people were expecting a skyward sword 
HD remaster though. And it, mm-hmm. I doubt we're going to get both of these this year. So that one we'll probably have to wait a little bit on. Um, but I actually am really excited to play Link's Awakening. I haven't played that game in like 20 years. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not sure if we'll get a Skyward Sword HD remaster. You think cause, so? Cause how mm-hmm. are you going to, how are you going to do the sword mechanics on a switch? Well, it's you got the switch has the. Well, the I guess it has. I guess it. That's true. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. I, I totally forgot that feature because I've never freaking used. I know because the they never use it. But it technically, <laughs> see, that's the thing. The Wii U, you'd have had to have actually used a Wii controller, which is which is weird. But for right. the Switch, you can do that. I can't believe I like literally completely <laughs> forgot that the Switch has that capability because I. Have I know because you always use the Pro controller, <laughs> but um, I only know it because whenever we play Mario Party, it's like. They use that thing all the time. Okay, hold on. So here's my thoughts on this. Um, I do not like... Well, I'll say what I like first. I like the little intro they did. The that art was cool. style, The yeah. art style in the intro, and then, like, especially on this sort of, like, page where they do the title of the game, and they show the mountain in the background with the egg, and he's, yep. like, he's like, you know, knocked out on a little uh, yeah. board in the ocean or whatever. That art style, I love. I that wish, cool. I wish that was what the game looked like. Well, but that that's a two D <laughs> hand drawn cartoon. You can't possibly do that. <laughs> well, no, there. Oh, you certainly can. Uh, the way that the uh, using techniques like that were used in um, uh, what's that freaking game? That latest uh, Dragon, Dragon Ball Z, Z. That one. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, those are all. Those are all three D. Um, yeah, it's really smooth and stuff. But you know that that animation that they were doing there, how it was all like crayon drawn and um, what it seemed to be colored in in just a really interesting way, not the way it's oh, I, I know, And I know the frame rate was probably about eight frames per second. Yeah, I still think that there are ways that they could have pulled that off because that to me is what looked really interesting and like new. And it was pretty faithful to the, what do you call it? Um, the well, way the that manga, they did, right? the, did the intro in, in the Game Boy game, right? Because like... yeah. In the Game Boy game, they have just kind of like 2D images that aren't really animated much. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, where it's just but, the image and the camera is kind of moving a little. Yeah, yeah and this kind of created some motion to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyways, I think there are there are techniques they could have used to pull that off. And that so I would have So if really they liked. hadn't shown that, would you then have liked the art style? Uh, no. <laughs> no? I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of this like little plastic model-y looking thing. I don't <laughs> think that it's... You know, it's not that it's bad or that it looks bad. Like it for what the for what they were going for, for the purpose of what they were trying to create, for their intention, they they pulled off something that looks really polished. I just don't like it as mm. much as I would have liked something more like this. I have it on the screen. I know you can't see it, but no, you um, got you, got like if they had tried to pull off something like this, uh, even if they had done it from the top down view and kept the game the same way, which I would have preferred, um, the way that. Um, Maybe like a link between worlds is done, and, and the way that this is done, so you keep that classic two D Zelda gameplay feel to it. Right, sure. they kind of had to do that for this one. Yeah, I wouldn't have wanted them to try and make it into a like three D uh, Ocarina of Time and after style Zelda game. I wouldn't have wanted that. Right. But something that feels more like a two D cartoon <clears throat> than like <laughs> this tilt shift three D plastic thing. Um. Another thing I didn't love about it, because I th- like some of my favorite music from the Zelda series comes from uh, uh, Link's Awakening. Yeah, and they had this—I um, don't know how to describe it—other than like uh, you know the like the 
the the stupid like flutes that they do in a lot of parodies like that Jurassic Park. Yes. Where it's yeah. played badly on purpose, right? Yeah. It sounds like that genre, but not played badly, like, but played in tune and played well. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like it's being played with like toy instruments. For, for yeah. some reason, they're, they're going with this like toy theme for this, this whole yeah. game. Like everything yeah. looks like it's a toy. You're hearing the sounds of like cheap toy instruments, you know, being played mm. well, I guess. Um, instead of, you know, I, what I think this, this group worked on previous to this was a link between worlds. Right. And I think that mm. was the, the oh, Zelda sure. that like, this is obviously the handheld Zelda team trying to make a switch game now, mm. um, with HD and all that stuff. And looking at the link between worlds graphics, it's like, that's super cool. I probably would have preferred that if they just ported that over, but I love it when Nintendo does new stuff and, mm. This like I don't know. I feel like the gameplay is going to complement this look that they went for really well. Probably true because it's just going to be a, a fun game with crazy stuff in it. And yeah. anyways, um, not really too drawn to it myself. I probably won't play that one. I'll probably go back and replay the original though because I freaking love oh, yeah. that. I love that Game Boy version of the game a lot. Um, they have that on the Super NES Classic, by the way. Do they have? Um... Can can you play Link's Awakening oh. on the Super NES Classic? <laughs> Did they have that as part of that? What was that game called? Like yeah, Super the Game, game Boy... Boy Collection or whatever. Maybe I haven't checked it yet, but if it's Maybe. there, that's how I'm gonna play. It. I don't know how emulatable that game is. You have to look into that. Yeah, but um, possibly, possibly true. Um, okay, let's move on to uh, this. Was just something really quick. I thought I. The internet is so freaking weird. Remember how um, when we first watched the reveal for, I think it was ARMS? Yeah. And, and we thought it was, like, stupid. And then, like, the internet just freaking, like, wanted more ARMS all the time. Splatoon also. <laughs> That's how Splatoon yeah, was Splatoon revealed. Was the and same it was way. like, what? And it ended up being a really fun game. This Tetris 99 thing yeah. became a meme so fast. And people were just like, more Tetris 99. <laughs> And I think this is more of a joke than the others were. I think people were more legitimately excited for those. Yeah. But it was kind of a joke of this because people were looking for Metroid. They were looking. I don't know why anyone was looking for Metroid. They already announced it was completely restarting like last month or whatever. But uh, anyways, people wanted other things. And they were trying to make it out yeah. like, oh, we want these things. But Nintendo gives us Tetris 99, which I thought was not even true because there were so many good reveals outside of that. But anyways... Tetris 99 became a meme somehow. I don't get the internet sometimes. Yeah. Um, Assassin's Creed 3 remaster. I'm just asking why. Like, I know. Why? Three? why? <laughs> like, why? What in the world? Why that one? Of all of the Assassin's Creed's, why 3? I don't know. And that one actually like did come choice. to the Wii U, so that's, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I think, actually, the one that was on Wii U was 4. was Black Flag. Oh, was it 4? I don't, four? I thought I don't think 3 came to the Wii U. So that's huh. even weirder. I, I don't yeah, know. Weird. It's weird. It's a really old Assassin's Creed that they're remastering on the Switch for some reason. Okay. Uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. I'll talk a little bit about this one. Yeah. Um, I've heard a lot of people also expressing uh, disappointment or concern about this one. And um, I'm cautiously optimistic for it. It does feel... Especially with the voice acting. I don't understand, like, the, the genre of voice acting for anime. It's, like, a very distinct way that people talk, and it's very overdone. And we, we've touched yeah. on this, maybe has something to do with the fact that um, 
you know, theater in Japan is often not going for realism. That's not its point. It's trying yeah, to be like over the top, right? Yeah. And so maybe they're trying to sort of keep that essence of the acting into the uh, localization or something like that. And I, I respect that choice if that's why they're doing it, but it just anime voice acting very often doesn't feel natural. So it doesn't feel natural to me here either. But the premise of it, I, I think, is kind of cool. Um, where where you create a character who is a tactician and an instructor, and you're going to choose to mentor one of the three leaders of the three kingdoms and sort of like teach them at an academy setting. Um, they have in the past had the player character act as the tactician for the army, which makes sense since you're making all the choices. Yeah. But um, the there's only two that I can think of that I've played anyways where they did that. One was Fire Emblem on the Game Boy, where your player character didn't fight at all. They were just the tactician that they, you know, came to, you know, uh, we call it um, counsel with or whatever. Mm. Um, and that seems to be what this is. I'm watching it now just to make sure that I didn't miss something, but it seems like the player character just, like, gives commands and not necessarily fights, which was how um, Awakening was. In Awakening, you were the tactician for the army, but you also were a, a magician and you, a sorcerer. You fought. Anyways, we'll see if I'm right or wrong about that. But um, I, I really like kind of the style they're going for here, which looks a bit more like the previous cons console entries of Fire Emblem in terms of proportions of the characters on the maps rather than like a little chibi dude, 2D dude that they've had since Awakening, basically. Right. Um, so there's elements of it um, that, to me, look really cool. I like how the units, when you, when you send a unit into battle, it'll zoom in on the map, and that unit will actually be like a whole platoon of, of guys. So like on the, on the wide angle, like bird's eye view, it's like one person, but when they fight, it zooms in, and it's actually like a whole regimen or like an, an entire like group of people. So it makes the army feel a lot bigger. Hmm. Um, That's cool. Yeah, so I like that. Um, I think that they, they're executing the look really well, like the art style that they have for the portraits, and then like applying that to the 3D models. They have like a nice outline on it to give it, you know, uh, a congruent look with the anime hmm. sort of like art style. Anyways, let me see here if we can get into the part where they're fighting. And if. Yeah, see, like these battles from up top. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like Path of Radiance. But yeah, and then it zooms in and it's like the whole, they have like a whole platoon or like a bunch of soldiers that they, each unit is kind of in charge of. But um, I don't know. I think this looks great. I'm excited for it. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, with how disappointing Fates was and the direction they've been taking storytelling since then, like Echoes, uh, Shadows of Lentia, of course, is a remake of Fire Emblem 2, basically. And that one I liked better. There were some things about it, like mission structure. I don't want to go too long on this. Anyways, if anyone mm -hmm. wants to know what I didn't like about Shadows of Valentia, hit me up on Discord. But um, I liked it better than Fates for sure, but I still like, still didn't feel like it was like one of my favorite games in the series. Anyways, I think it looks cool. I'm excited for that. Cool. It does look cool, um, but I'm just, I'm just not into Fire Emblem as much. Um, okay, we talked about Hellblade coming to Hellblade. Um, 
the Switch. I'm a little yeah. bit upset about this because I wanted to buy a physical copy of Hillblade because mm. I wanted to support the, the team. It's one of my favorite games. I'll always play the PC version if I'm at home, but when they announced the PlayStation 3 physical copy, I went and bought it because I wanted to support the devs. And then they announced a Switch version, which I would have rather had just for the portability yeah, you know, f- functionality of it. Because I'm not going to play the PlayStation 3 version. I'm going to play the PC version. I just bought it to support them. So now I feel like almost enticed to buy, to it, buy it third, <laughs> so that I can oh, take man. it with me when I'm like yeah. traveling. Anyways. I, this was surprising. I did not think Nintendo was going to get this one. Yeah, it's a cool announcement. If you haven't played it and you have a Switch, uh, I recommend getting it. Super good. Um, yeah. And it, if you're going to play it on the go too, it, it, you're encouraged to play the game with headphones anyways. So oh, yeah. it's, it's a better experience with headphones. Much better experience with headphones. Okay, um, Deltarune is a, a game coming from the creator of Undertale. Um, yeah, I loved, loved Undertale, so I'm excited about that one. Didn't really see too much. It was a pretty short trailer. Final Fantasy IX was released. Yep, it's out it's now. already out. And Final Fantasy VII is coming in at the end of March. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing some uh, not good things about Final Fantasy IX's port on the Switch. Yeah. It being laggy, the people hating mm-hmm. the UI, like the menus and stuff, because they look mm-hmm. like a mobile menu I was wondering if this was a mobile port, yeah. And so it seems to have similar problems that I had with like Chrono Trigger's original release. Yeah, but that Switch. was fixed quickly, which makes me wonder. Hopefully, PC. Nintendo can can approve a patch quickly here. Um, hopefully. If they to. Um, but speaking of this, I, I told you earlier in the week. Um, this isn't mm-hmm. the case right now, I don't think. But for a couple of days, the the Sony. Uh, PlayStation Classic was $40 on Amazon. So I went and <laughs> yeah. got it. <laughs> oh, nice. So, Good work. So I'm going to be putting... That's how I'm going to be playing Final Fantasy 9 or 7 or 8 into the future. Sure, that's how that. I would much rather play. Yeah. Just find, get the original and play it on something like that. Mod it and have the original controller. Yeah. And Anyways, so I probably won't get either of those on the Switch. Um, especially if they're not as good as the PlayStation versions, which has been the case forever. The PC versions of Final Fantasy 7 and 8 were really bad back when they released them in like the yep. 90, late 90s. And like all the ports basically since then are not great. The PlayStation version is just the better version of the game. Just play that yeah. one, right? Okay, now here's the big one. Dragon Quest Eleven Definitive Edition. Now this is freaking my favorite thing that we saw from the Nintendo Direct. Um, let me play it here. And there's a couple of reasons why. First of all, I mean, the, it's finally, the Switch version's finally coming. And they had to, people had to wait a long time for this if you want to play on a Switch. But they, this is how you do it. If you're going to make your people wait forever, you this better is, put something in it that they this can't is, get otherwise. This is what you do. You release yep. the definitive version of the game on your platform if you're going to make yep. people wait that long to get it. And so you'll get the same version that you had on PlayStation 4 and PC and stuff, it's not going to obviously be look as good as it did on those platforms, but it's still right. the HD version of the game. Yeah. Um, but also, they're going to put in the orchestral soundtrack into this version that you can switch on the fly. That was not in the PlayStation 4 version. That was not in the PC version. Well, you could mod it yeah. on, the play, on the PC version. Which yeah, I'd heard that people had done that. But... 
the real huge key, and this was true for, I think, both you and Landon, because uh, you wanted the 3DS versions. I think both of you did. Exactly, yep. Because you could switch on the fly between the 3D and the 2D version of the game, right? And we're talking about how that more or less like made it so you guys weren't interested in it anymore. But yeah. now the Switch version will have 2D that you can switch on the fly. Mm -hmm. They brought that feature back. Yeah, that's freaking huge for me specifically because that's literally like how I wanted to play. Once I saw that the D-Make was even an option, I was like, that's how I am playing this game. And it was so disappointing yep. that the 3DS didn't come here. But the fact that it's on the Switch is cool. And I don't know. I'm almost wondering if this kind of stuff can be patched over to the PS4 later. Like if, if eventually... Mm -hmm you know, this version of the game can be played on the different platforms as well. Well, that was the first thing I looked up was like, oh, it's a definitive edition. Is that going to come to the PlayStation 4? Are they going to release yeah. this version elsewhere? And I can't see anything that's saying that. So one thing that I found was that Nintendo is the publisher of this version of the game. Yeah, not that's right. Square that's Enix. huge. Square yeah. Enix is not publishing it. Which leads me to believe it may be exclusive to the Nintendo Switch. You know, Nintendo knows what their people want. That's that's pretty cool. So if that is the case, or you know, it could be maybe it's a limited or it's a for a limited time, it's an exclusive, kind of like Resident Evil Four was. Or yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. But in any case, um, I mean, I have this version. I have this not this version. I have this game. I have on it on Steam. PC. Yeah. Yeah, I have the and PC so it's version. It's like. I don't know if I'm going to... But I'm kind of tempted to buy it because I just love the concept of switching on the fly to 2D and I feel like Final I, yeah. Fantasy 16 must do it. They must. It's such I a good idea. I think I'm going to... I think I am going to to get it for the Switch. Um, I do have a question, though. When you when you get into a cutscene, does it play the cinematic cutscene or does it do the cutscene in the 16-bit graphics? I don't know for sure, but I think it would be 16-bit. Uh, I don't think that they'll play... Cutscenes. Cool, man. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, final is Anvil saying Final Fantasy 16 won't do it, calling it out, and he's right, of course. But yeah, <laughs> I don't see how for any, either Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest moving forward forever, how they could not make this a like staple feature. For, I, they should. They really should. They they started this genre. And they have such a history, and people loved the 2D games. It's, just do it. Just do it forever. Just do it see, from now on. <laughs> and, and they're having such a hard time, like, branching, like, moving forward, like, progressing the genre, but still maintaining their roots. They are clearly yeah. having a really hard time with that. This is one way that they can just give, they can just have it both ways. And I don't think it's that much more expensive to include a demake of your game in the content. Like, I don't think it's that much more. It would maybe I take agree. a few more programmers, but not that much. I agree. Anyways, looks awesome. And I will strongly consider getting this the Switch version. Since I haven't even played that far into the one I have. You haven't? No. Uh, I've heard <laughs> such good things. I just haven't it's, I haven't wanted to play it. Good. It's just so intimidatingly long. It's one of those games where yeah. it's like you have to play it a hundred hours and it's just like am I do I have time for that, you know? Anyways, um let's move on to yeah, that's huge. this article real quick. Um this one this is an interview, or not necessarily an interview. A question was asked of um, Naoki Yoshida, Naoki Yoshida. Naoki, yeah, Naoki Yoshida. Who is the director of Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn. Um, and he says something that I think a lot of us 
agree with and what would make me hope so, so freaking hard that he would be the director of the next mainline. Well, a lot fantasy. of people are speculating that he is going to be. I really hope he is. We'll uh, see. So I'll just read what it says here. Considering that three of the four previously announced Final Fantasy XV DLC, Episode Aranea, Episode Lunafreya, and Episode Noctis have been canceled, and only one of them will actually be finished, Episode Arden, coming in March... It's safe to say that Square Enix has decided to abandon the 2016 JRPG to focus on Final Fantasy VII Remake and yet unannounced projects developed by Luminous Productions. According to Final Fantasy XIV director and producer Naoki Yoshida, next entries in the acclaimed series should be a straightforward fantasy that don't have much machinery and with no mecha in them, as he revealed in a a recent interview with Silicon Era. See, what is he doing talking about this at all? Like his producers wouldn't want him saying any of this unless he was somehow involved in the project. Like you, you can't get know. away with just saying stuff like this well, with your company. These are con- has, these are discussions you have in private. He has been pretty openly critical of Square in the past. Has like, he? Okay. One well, of one of my one I of my favorite quotes from him was where he said, um, uh, "We had an unhealthy obsession with graphical quality in this company." Basically, like. Uh. And and he had that attitude going into fixing Final Fantasy XIV. Oh, good. So I think that to some degree he feels he has some room to be openly critical of the company because he basically completely rescued Final Fantasy XIV yeah. and made it profitable. <laughs> well, in that sense, then you that that may be that may be true. Maybe they they just let him say whatever and they there's no repercussions. Um, it goes on to say, as you probably remember, Final Fantasy XV director Hajime Tabata officially parted ways with Enix, oh, Square Enix, in November to publish or to establish his own development studio called JP Games. And so he's definitely not involved in any new Final Fantasy titles. We know that Luminous, the developer founded to focus entirely on new Final Fantasy, is working on a new title. I don't think that's actually true. I think they were working on a totally original game, but no, um, that's what I heard is working on a new title, so there's a chance that Yoshida, the man who quite literally saved FF14, is overseeing a mecha-less Final Fantasy video game that might as well be the next-gen project at that point. Mm-hmm. I hope that is true. I desperately awesome. hope that is true. That yeah, is one that way that you could get me really excited for Final Fantasy 16. I mean, they haven't had that kind of, I guess, well, even Final Fantasy 12 had a lot of the big mech kind of stuff in it. Not really the mechs, I guess, but just the the technology aspect was still mm-hmm. ever present, despite the fact that it felt more like a traditional fantasy. Sure. You got these big flying spaceships and stuff, and you know, not spaceships, but the airships. They, but they, they weren't. They weren't look like normal airships. Though. They looked like yeah. they were. They had some like technological basis, you know. Yeah. Um. Anyways, that'd be sick. I hope that's. I true. think it's been since eleven. Um. I would love to see just a straight like medieval fantasy setting for Final Fantasy again. Yeah. Okay. I I don't want it to be an MMO, however. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm going to talk a little bit about this Arden uh, prologue um, anime that they just released basically like yesterday, I think. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet then. So I watched it. um, And I'll, I'll just say that like everyone knows my position on Final Fantasy 15. You know that I've been... Yeah cynical of it i've been really disappointed by it especially with with its storytelling like it's not so much the story and like all the ideas of it it's it's the the way that they delivered this over a gigantic freaking like multimedia 
you have to like watch a movie and like two different animes and like play this game that's like a freaking yeah. uh like arcade beat 'em up and in order to like get like a complete view and, and a bunch of paid DLC for pieces of the story that are quite like necessary, I feel. Right? Mm. Uh, and and just the storytelling in general, even with all of that in mind, I think is just it's just missing so much good context and setup to make the payoffs really work. So anyways, I watched this and you know, when we were first starting out on YouTube and we were mm. trying to decide, like, what's the appropriate length for, like, a YouTube video or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and eventually we kind of landed. I don't remember who it was, whether it was uh, Freddie W. or somebody. They said something like um, the video should be as long as the story or the idea, as long as the idea dictates it should be, right? Sure, that was like, Freddie, yeah. If if the if the video needs to be twelve minutes long in order to be executed right and to do it the right way, then it needs to be twelve minutes. You shouldn't try to arbitrarily cut it down to three if that's not going to deliver on the idea. And vice versa, if it's a three minute idea, make it a three minute idea. Don't try and like extend it and make it longer than that. Right. This story that they're telling in the anime is like an hour long idea that is twelve minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Um, they the, and this is what I was hoping when I heard that they were doing an art and DLC. This is the time period I was hoping that that game would take place in when Arden was the hero of the story and was going around like blessing people and taking the Star Scourge into himself. And uh, yeah. you know, I thought that that's what they were going to do, but turns out that's not the case. They're going to do something that's like, I don't know, 20, maybe 50 years before Final Fantasy XV starts. Mm. After all this interesting stuff for the character, all of the the nuance, possible nuance for the character and, and, and establishing why he's become a villain, you know, his justification for that. They try to wrap up that whole story in like 12 minutes. And it, it it's executed fairly well for the most part. I mean, the animation's decent, the... I mean, for anime, anime is usually, animations are pretty, um, like, low frame rate, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But for what it is, I think it's executed really well. It's it's flashy, it looks good, um, you know, sound and music are on point. Like, these things are all done pretty well. It's just that I don't feel much for the characters in it because they're really rushing through it just to give you like the main bullet points of what happened rather than like having moments to like really help us understand the characters feel for them. Like, so it's fine. It's like, okay. But again, like this is my, it, it kind of wraps up my whole problem. Like it, it is the essentially like a 12 minute version of my entire problem with final fantasy 15 storytelling. I don't understand or feel like, I connect with any of the characters, despite the fact that I can see horrible things happening to them, tragic things, and it's like, oh, that's that's really sad. But it's the equivalent of me hearing about some random person on the news. And I don't have any context for the life. I had no connection to that person, so I don't feel anything other than, like, a, a base level of sympathy. Like, oh, that's a horrible story. I, I feel bad for them. But I don't really feel that, you know what I mean? Because I don't know these people. So, anyways, it's worth watching. But, like, 
they're trying to make this so sad. Like what I'm even going to have on the screen here right now. It's like, it's like so tragic. And it's like the, the tone and the heaviness of it is there. Mm. But I don't feel it because it's, like I said, it's like an hour-long idea wrapped up in 12 minutes. So, anyways, those are my thoughts on uh, episode Arden Prologue. The DLC will be coming out next month. Yeah, I didn't know it was out. I, I want to watch it now. You should. You should totally watch it. Was it? Does it look like it was done by the same guys who did the Brotherhood? Yeah, looks like exactly the same. Cool. Uh, art style and stuff like that. So, okay, let's move on to our main topic. Oh, nice. We have thirty minutes. Thirty minutes. <clears throat> Wrap that up in thirty minutes. Here we go. Uh, this one came from Chocolate Rob on uh, Patreon. Um, asks, what is the point? of fantasy fiction. It's all just a load of stuff that isn't real, right? So obviously he doesn't believe this. He's just posing the question. It's a very good but, question, though. It's something that makes you think a little bit. Um, do you have thoughts on that before? I do. Like, before? I absolutely do. So fantasy fiction? <laughs> well, I don't know exactly how deep I should go, and I could be... I, I, a lot of this stuff I would take as... um. You know, stuff that resonates with humans just resonates with humans, and that's just how humans are. Um, but there is a psychological aspect you can take to this whole thing, and that is that fantasy has its roots in religion, um, going back really far, and that that humans have this this connection to the perceived supernatural um, in a way that they don't really understand. And it does definitely, I, I believe it goes back to religion, but it also fa fantasy fiction is a, an extremely good way of presenting an abstraction in an engaging way in order to teach a moral, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got a dragon. There's a dragon lives off the shores from here. It comes around and it kills people and it hoards all this gold. And, you know, once upon a time, there was this really brave guy who went out and fought the dragon. He went and confronted the dragon. And his reward was a ton of gold. The dragon, for some reason, had this, this um, young virgin girl also. And, you know, get, he's got the girl too. And he comes back to the town. And, wow, everybody loves him now. He saved everybody. And he got everything he wanted, right? And it all resulted from one man's bravery going out and confronting the unknown, essentially. And so that story, <laughs> from a moral perspective, is telling individuals individuals to face the challenges that are ahead of them, despite how big they are, uh, to go out and to discover yourself or to go and discover the world, to confront the darkness that's in front of you and to, you know, fight the, the demons that are ever present and all this kind of stuff. Right. And um, the dragon being the abstraction of the most po evil possible monstrous thing that you could ever face being still slayable by a human who can then obtain the riches of the world um, is kind of the kind of story that, that humans just kind of really gravitate towards, right? Because it's in their control. It's something, it's just something that's, you, you can't even imagine how awful it would be to be in the presence of a dragon. Uh, yet even still any, uh, like anything that humans confront, humans have the capability of, you know, getting over that and that whole kind of thing. And so you kind of, you use fantasy in order to tell a story that you could just tell normally, like in terms of the religion stuff, like you got the Adam and Eve story, you got the snake, right? Mm -hmm. And the snake is Satan. And you could just say, yeah, there's like an evilness inside of people. And when evil people behave evilly there, you can kind of, 
um, equate them to other evil people. And, oh, th there's kind of a similar spirit between this evil person and this evil person. They both kind of want the same thing. They're motivated in the same way. They lack empathy. They're, you know, it's like there's a spirit that's possessed them, right? So, so you pull out of these two people a similar spirit that you then personify using a snake yeah, because snakes slither about and humans are really good at identifying snakes as something that's going to kill them. And so, okay, well, the, the snakes must harbor that same spirit, right? So anyways, the whole abstraction just kind of, it becomes this story that's much bigger than it is, but it's used in order to make an impression on humans in order to um, resonate with us and to help us to, to teach the like morals and the ideas of how to live a good life and what you should and should not do lest these things happen. Humans just have this connection with that kind of stuff. Even if they've never seen it before, they understand it because it's like this huge, massive dragon. Oh my gosh, a dragon. That's basically a snake with wings. Holy crap. What could be worse? It breathes fire. Oh my gosh, fire's destructive. It's destroyed everybody's, you know, it destroyed our last village because it got out of hand and we couldn't control it. Or the people who raid our villages, they use fire, right? So a fire breathing dragon. Holy cow. That's the worst thing that can ever happen to humans. And Anyways, that that's 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 about that's about as as much as I can as I can bring out of that. A fantasy is much more than just telling fake stories. There's a purpose to it, and it ends up typically engaging uh, with the the way that the human mind works in order to convey a moral message. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, ever since I was a really young kid, I want to say my mom sat me in front of. Um, the never-ending story when I was maybe five years old or four years old or something like that. And there, I mean, ever since then, basically, there's something about fantasy fiction that has always, for me, been like my favorite genre, my favorite kind of style uh, or setting for storytelling. Um, and, you know, as, as Rob asked this question, because he asked it earlier in the week on, a, on one of our YouTube videos as well, I've been thinking about that because, you know, there is an element to the question that I think a lot of people, even in the comments here, are saying, um, you know, that they, they have experienced from authority figures in their life, whether it's their parents, maybe like teachers, uh, politicians, whatever it might be, that have this sort of like negative view toward escapism in, in entertainment uh, when it comes to video games or movies. Like, I remember growing up and my mom was really concerned about how much time we spent with entertainment. The yeah, idea of, games and movies, yeah. The idea of it being addictive and trying to escape from the real world and, and run away from problems and run away from, um, you know, uh, responsibility and, and just, like, spend all of our time in this fake place, right? Um. Mm. And so I think that there is a legitimate concern there. I think that there are uh, people out there who certainly use video games and movies for that purpose to escape from their problems and it becomes an addiction. Right. Um, but really, uh, it, it's it's true of anything. That can be true of, of food. People use food to escape. They use food to console themselves and it gets out of hand and they become addicted and you know they ruin their health. Um, it's true for, for video games. I was watching a, an episode of, um, it's actually one of the, one of my favorite episodes of, uh, the twilight zone, oh, nice. um, from season one. Um, I forget the name of the episode, but there's, there's this really bookwormy nerdy guy. Who yes. This is a, this is one of the most famous episodes. Yeah. <laughs> 
and you know he just loves to read he just he's always reading and and he's yeah. got his boss at the, at his yeah. work is like you got to stop reading when you're on the job or else you're going to get fired you don't have a job anymore well, and his like, wife but, is like yes. stop reading but she's hiding all his books and and, he, and he's like i can't read at home because my wife won't let me read like yeah. she 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 and there was a certain thing she said about po- the poetry he was reading she okay so he had hidden a, a book of poetry in the sofa in the couch yeah yeah and and uh you know she came and takes the newspaper from him and like i'm not gonna have my husband not um substituting reading for a real conversation it, it was basically mm-hmm. like exactly what people say about social media today what they say about cell phones it's like we're all just here looking at our phones book, which today is considered yes the best this, form of entertainment that won't melt your brain <laughs> this problem is not exclusive to modern technology they've been making these same types of arguments even back into the 50s and 40s, and I'm sure well beyond that. Oh, way before you're not that, yeah. You're not socializing with real people. You're not making real connections. You're just, you got your face stuck in that newspaper or stuck in that book or whatever it is, right? And you're just escaping from reality into that thing. Um, yeah. Anyway, so he, he, she takes that from him. He takes out the hidden book of poetry, but opens it up and it's all, it's all marked out. She like took like a pencil or a pen to it and like scribbled out like every single page. Right. And she's just a horrible person and just like, won't let him read for some reason. Right. But anyways, um, the, the reason I bring that up is because like, that's been a concern, uh, that I, that a lot of people, uh, have had about entertainment for as long as entertainment has existed in whatever form and whatever media it came. Mm. And, you know, I've definitely like my, it's, it's, it's hard for me because like I gravitated toward fantasy as a young kid, but I have never felt like I used it for escapism. Like Mm. I've always had more of like, um, an appreciation for the art of stories and and uh especially with fantasy there's so much room there for incredible design uh to to create things that aren't that we don't see in the real world but like what would happen it's 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 this uh, ability to ask questions and put people into situations that you could never find in the real world i call Mm. it hyper realistic scenarios uh, because we try to make them appear real, like say the Balrog on the bridge of Khazad-dûm oh, yeah. in Lord of the Rings, right? That yeah. looks real, yeah, right. It feels like believable. You look at that, and it's obviously that's a creature that would never exist in real life. But when you're watching that, you believe that because oh, totally. the way that they study animation, uh, 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 the movement of like different types of beasts and stuff, the way that and they did bring the sound that it made. Like, Remember, they yeah. were recording the cinder blocks to get that yes. sound. Yeah. So, so obvious. So, uh, to me, fiction and especially fantasy fiction, fantasy fiction is not about being realistic, but about being hyper realistic. We we want to put ourselves, and this kind of goes back to the stint I was on for a while. Remember, a couple months back, I was talking about recognizing patterns all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that for a second, right? So, <laughs> pattern recognition is like essentially what makes us human. I mean, again, some people will bring up, well, all kinds of animals can recognize patterns. Yes, <clears throat> that is true. I'm not saying that we're the only ones who can do it and that's exclusively makes us who we are. I'm saying that our ability for it is like just way, way, way beyond any other animal on this planet. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's, it's not even comparable. And because we have developed such a strong 
ability to recognize patterns in everything. We, we have learned to sort of as a species use that to try and apply meaning to the world around us, like uh, find purpose in, in the world, like why things happen. We're always concerned with why. We're always trying to find out why. This applies to sports analysis. I've talked about uh, reading all the stats and trying to make predictions about what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. It's very important to us to be able to predict based on the patterns we see around us. Um, because biologically, from a from an evolutionary perspective, the better you are at doing that, the 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 easier time you'll have surviving. If you can predict when bad things will happen and avoid oh, yeah. them, you're going to yeah. survive longer. If you mm-hmm. if you can predict, then you're if you can predict accurately, you're going to have a better life. So, to me, entertainment, art, storytelling is about creating fictional scenarios in which we can learn without putting ourselves in any real danger. Sure, yeah. To learn pattern recognition. Hmm. And and that's why we get like formulas in storytelling like the hero's journey and yeah. and certain tropes and stuff. These are moral yeah. lessons. Yeah. And I feel like that's also why a lot of villains and heroes are kind of the same from story to story. They're yep. similar people. Like they, and it's 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 in part so that hey, if you see people doing these things that's a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good person. And as right. much as that's black and white and they're trying to avoid that in modern storytelling, that is like part, at least in part, that's the usefulness of mm-hmm. the, these kinds of stories. Yeah. And, and we started from a young age. You watch any children's television, the, the themes yeah. of friendship and sharing and forgiveness and yeah. all of these types of things are going to be at the moral of the episode you're watching. And it teaches kids to recognize patterns that will hopefully direct them <laughs> to be becoming uh, a person who contributes to society and um, you know builds up a society and and you know uh, cohabitates and, and, and lives in peace alongside other people, right? So we we inure our children from a young age to learn these patterns of living and these moral patterns yeah. through fictional scenarios. Obviously, freaking like all these cartoons you watch growing up, none of that was real. But is it important? Is Sesame Street important for kids? <laughs> sure. My like, kid freaking loves it. Like it's not just mindless entertainment that you're sitting them in front of just to like get – sometimes you do it because you want them to be uh, you know, entertained for a while so you can go do something else. Sure. It sure, there's an really. element to that. But like you know, it, 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 these, these media um, are important for shaping – who we are as a society, who we are as individuals. And they teach us how to make good decisions. They teach us important moral lessons for our lives. And that is absolutely true of adult fantasy fiction, things yeah. like Lord of the Rings and Mistborn and all kinds of stuff. And, and I think that there's a tendency for people who don't want to look beneath the surface of it and say, like, stop wasting your time. This None of this is real. <clears throat> um, I saw an interview with um james cameron oh nice who was making some comments about aquaman right because aquaman mostly takes place underneath or a lot of it takes place underneath the ocean yeah and he's he's a deep sea diver it's why he wanted to make like titanic a lot of um a lot of what he does is underwater filmmaking yeah, well, he has been to the bottom of the Mariana Trench before. I think he's only yeah. one of like six people who've ever been that deep, ever. Right. Which is and crazy. so he loves 
underwater filmmaking. <laughs> and yeah. so he was he was commenting on the physics of it and how unrealistic it was, right? Yeah. Um, and saying like, well, that, that's fine. You know, like it, it was a good movie and they, they were doing what they were going to do. But like I couldn't have made that movie because of my knowledge of the physics of being underwater and, you know, Avatar, the new Avatar movies are going to largely take place underwater. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going to be going for more of a realistic physics-based sort of like uh, visuals in terms of how we go about making that, right? Mm-hmm. And and what I saw in the comments was a lot, and I see this all over the place on the internet, but looking for realism in a fantasy movie, like, dur, dur, dur. <laughs> I know, people always say that. and And it's like, you know... That's kind of the same attitude, but it, it comes from someone who's trying to defend a thing, right? Like yes. you have some people who are trying to criticize something, being like, "This is escapism. There's this isn't real. Stop putting so much of your time and energy into this. You know, it, yeah. participate in real life." There, there's like that angle, but then there's also the angle of why are you trying to find something realistic in a fantasy? Like that's stupid. Right. And to me, I think both are equally um, shallow-minded, yeah. uh, and it's not about realism so much as it is about believability you want to establish rules you want your 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 player or your your viewer <clears throat> your reader to be immersed in the story this goes back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago something i actually wanted to touch on again when we talked about that developer from world of warcraft who oh yeah was saying who's trying yeah. to distinguish a difference between immersion and good storytelling mm. as i thought about that later on in the week i i felt like that was such a misunderstanding of what storytelling is because he's trying to delineate them as if they're different things. But to me, immersion is the result of good storytelling. It is not uh, something that should be mutually exclusive. Like yeah. that is literally the whole point. You want people to believe in the drama. You need them to be immersed. And if you're doing all, all of the other things, right, your storytelling methods, including your, your dialogue, the writing of your dialogue, the pacing, your world building, if all of that's being done well, the result is the person will be immersed and they will believe in what's happening, right? So, yes, like becoming immersed in something, which I think could be seen by someone as escapism, uh, you know, they, they make fun of um, Star Trek nerds in uh, Galaxy Quest, right? There's the kid in Galaxy Quest who borderline believes that Galaxy Quest is real and, and his heart is like crushed by... Um, uh, Tim, Tim Allen. Allen. Yeah, because they're like, actors. Yeah. You realize it's not real, right? This is not real. And, he, yeah. and he's like, and, and he ends up calling him later when he, late, late in the movie after he's already in space and the adventures already began. And he calls him yeah. on like a communicator. And he's like, listen, I know it's not real. Like, of course it's not real. No, no, listen to me. It's all real. It's like, I knew, <laughs> I knew yeah. it was real. I knew it was real, right? So you have... Uh. Anyways, some people who are immersed to the point of, like, obviously that's a problem when you start believing it is actually literally real. And, and that's one thing. That's a very minuscule portion of anyone who – I don't think anyone believes, like, Lord of the Rings is real. But, but they're so immersed in it that they, they treat it. They treat it with almost, like, more importance or priority in life than, like, any real problem, right? Which is the religious connection there. Sure. That exists, but I think yeah. that the the amount of people who are at that point is so small, it's not really a well, problem. Well, it's all children. It is all yeah. children. But you, you're talking like the amount of adults at that level. Yes. That's true. It is, it is, it is smaller, as, so, as it should be. <laughs> but, but for but, children, this is this is real. And and yeah. it is 
it kind of needs to be real for them to internalize it properly, I think. But anyways, like, but still a, a certain level of immersion to the point where you could be seen as escaping into this place mm. is really important for you to have the moral message or the theme of it delivered to you in a way that will impact you where you'll go like, ah, yes, like that's really interesting thought or idea. I, I should think about that more in my own life and you can sort of start sure. applying it, right? Which is, again, the whole purpose of storytelling is to learn from these dangerous dangerous scenarios without actually putting yourself in harm's way. It's right. like uh, um, you're learning uh, vicariously through the characters in the story. And I think that that is incredibly important and is is much more it makes fantasy fiction about much more than just a bunch of stuff that isn't real and just pure escapism and, and can be actually very valuable uh, in, in our individual lives and, and in pop culture as well. So anyways, I agree with that. Sweet. You gotta go. We got seven more minutes. Yeah. I've got a couple more minutes. I can hang around <laughs> a little bit longer. Let's burn through a couple of these community yeah. stories okay first one uh this comes from I, i'm probably gonna pronounce this wrong symphonikev symphonikev um on discord sure uh he has an original composition uh sounds like an, an rpg uh piece of music basically it's really good um link to this will be in the description on uh youtube and of course as well as on uh, the audio only platforms I'm going to play just a, a minute of it here, let you guys listen to it, but I thought it was really great. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> I like it a lot. I love it. Really nice full soundscape. mixed it's going to change a little bit here in a second Couple more seconds. I want to get to the when it changes beat a little bit here. Yeah, it slows down and then it goes really, really cool. Okay. Anyways, um, any of you game designers out there who are looking for someone to do music for you, hit this guy up. He's legit. He knows what he's doing. Links will be in the description. Uh, great work. Great work, uh, Symphonikev. I really, really liked it. Okay. Last couple questions and we're going to wrap up. Uh, this one comes from Mitch McDonough. What classic or forgotten RPG series would you like to see updated or reimagined? I feel like Skies of Arcadia deserves another shot. Hmm. Um, okay, I have. I don't know about any forgotten ones, but um, I have a list of like three or four that I think could really use remakes. Um, Vagrant Story, 
Done oh yes, in, done in the style of Dark Souls, I think would be perfect. Oh for yeah, the that age. would fit really well, actually. Yeah, be perfect for the modern age. I like think a puzzly, puzzly Dark Souls. <laughs> absolutely, yes, absolutely perfect. Yeah, um, Xenogears uh, being remade with the second disc having the the time and resources put into it to finish it the way mm. that they wanted to do that, I think would be amazing. Um, and Final Fantasy VIII, actually, of all the Final Fantasy games oh. that I think deserves a remake, I think eight does because they mm. could flesh out some of the um, mechanics that uh, were easily broken or um, and I, I know some people like that aspect of FF8. They like that you can break it and sort of like tailor the difficulty to however you want to play the game. I get that. But it'd be cool if um, they sort of took away some of that and introduced a little bit more of an organic challenge rather than you sort of like creating or tailoring your own challenged FF8. Um, fixing some of the problems, I think, with the mechanics. So those three are what I would pick. They probably should have done uh, like a remake of Final Fantasy VIII before Final Fantasy VII. I think so. Like do something to kind of make sure that you can do it right and that it's well-received before you use your biggest name, you know? Mm -hmm. I would say Secret of Mana, though. I want to see the original CD, like the bigger version of that game, like the original Mm -hmm. version before they had to condense it to fit on a Super NES cartridge. Um, yeah, get the whole thing rather than the the remake they did last year or whatever. Yeah, was... e- yeah, I know they did a remake, but they didn't include all that stuff that I wanted. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, this one comes from Daniel Imperial. What do you think makes for an effective opening to a story? Uh, for me, it's all about mystery. I think that. Ooh, yes. The, yeah. The best way to hook someone in the beginning is about introducing a mystery. And and what that is is more or less a promise. So you're making a yeah. promise with your opening scenario about an interesting premise that they'll go, okay, I want to know more about this. Final so Fantasy about, 12 did a very good job of that. Yeah. Um, so if you can – I think Vagrant Story does a good job of it too. No, Vagrant it's, Story does a great job. It's too, opening yeah. scenario like makes you go like, what is Leomond? Who is Mo- – like what is Camp? Like what's this yeah. power that Sydney has? There's all these questions at the end of that first scene. And that, to me, is the most effective way to hook somebody where they go, I've got to keep going because I need to know what happens, right? Um, Okay, this one comes from Christopher Kowalchuk as the final question for today. Do you ever think about the possible harm caused by video games? Uh, I'll read the remainder of his comment. As a high school teacher who also enjoys video games, I'm somewhat concerned about my students who play video games at the expense of sleeping well, doing homework, socializing, exercising, etc., I'm only in my 30s, so I grew up at a time when playing video games was a normal pastime. However, back then we had to get together to play multiplayer. We, ah. we would meet at the arcade as well and play more advanced games. But now that video games are ubiquitous to the point that you can play advanced games on your phone, I'm worried that the addictive potential of video games is magnified. And yes, I went through a brief phase of playing mobile games. Curious as to what you guys think. Huh. I mean, obviously anything, anything can be you know, harmful depending on how it's done or depending on if you do it too much or whatever, or especially if it's coming at the expense of sleep. I know a lot of students, students, especially high school students, they like sleep is, is hard to come by when you're in high school. Um, but video games are also really important because they teach you things and it's a way of, you know, kind of exploring a new world. It's a way of fostering imagination and a way of, I don't know, a different way for them to kind of engage with a unique world. I, I 
I, I, I see both sides of it. Um, I'm glad I thought he was going to go in the direction of the video games, cause kids to shoot people oh, in real to, life kind of thing. Be more violent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I don't know. I don't know uh, if there's much of an argument to be made there, but in terms of, you know, getting kids out, obviously it's not helping kids become more social. I would say it's clearly that is not happening, but that's not all at the feet of video games. That's just how the whole world is becoming. And that's social media. That's there's all sorts of reasons for that. Um, and video games, in my opinion, is probably at the bottom of the concern tree. Yeah, me. I think, again, we sort of touched on this earlier, too, like with the whole Twilight Zone episode and stuff like that, like that this kind of thing's been a concern for a really long time for all kinds of different things. Yeah, people, especially people who are introverted, just tend to recluse. They tend to go inward rather than outward. And it can yeah. be concerning if that person's not taught. And to me, this falls on parenting way more than it falls on any single influence, whether it's social media or video games or anything like that. Parents have got to watch this and they've got to teach their kids how to reach balance in their lives because yeah. literally yeah. anything can become addictive. You could become addicted to watching sports or, or even playing sports. You can become addicted to just like focusing purely on one thing and you need balance in your life. So yeah. it is important to make sure your kids understand that at an early age. They've got to find balance. They can't just escape into a single thing and just like get away from their problems by using video games or food or drugs or alcohol or whatever it may be. They can't just run away. If they're running away from something and escaping into whatever it is, that's bad no matter what it is. And certainly with smartphones – comes the tendency to the the ease of access to just escape but as long as you're monitoring that you're watching your kids uh you know and teaching them how to balance their lives they're going to be okay like th this is not the problem this is not the root cause this is just the what do you call it um the the acting out it, it's the i forget the psychological term but it's it's just it's just the result but it's not the the root issue. The root oh, issue sure. is that the kid doesn't have confidence, doesn't feel like they're good enough or lovable or whatever it is. And that's what needs to be addressed in order for that child to have the confidence to find balance in their lives. So don't don't go after the result, go after the cause is Sure. There you go. should should be how you approach that. Yep. Okay. We're All done right. for today. I gotta go. Thank you everybody. For watching we appreciate you guys we got a subscription from bieberman thank you very much for and from riker's beard and riker's beard as well thank you yep. for subscribing we'll see you guys again very soon have a great week next week and peace out peace